Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good evening, children of the night. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the upcoming film, Suspiria. It had gotten quite some buzz from the film festival circuit. There is now a teaser trailer available. I've linked to it in the show notes, and it might be nice to check out. The final moments are unusual. Strange. 
the uh, what appears to be rib bone really does leave me wanting more, and that's the job of a teaser trailer. Tilda Swinton is in it, and her inclusion makes any movie an easy sell for me. I hope this one shapes up and strikes your fancy. Just before we leave the topic of movies and get into our story for the evening, I'd like to also recommend a quick read from Noelle Ransom, writing for Vice Canada, titled How Horror Has Evolved from Slasher to Drama. The article itself is a brief read and doesn't quite give you the full breakdown of the transition from when horror films were just all about jump scares to more modern films that deal more in character subtleties. But it did make me realize that change has happened. I'm not sure that I even considered it before. The slasher film does seem to be a rarity now. The article does take us on a brief tour of recent movie Memory Lane, touching on titles such as Get Out and A Quiet Place, both of which I loved, The Witch, which I did enjoy, but the pacing did exercise my attention span at points, and The Babadook, which I seemed to be in the minority of people who didn't actually care for it. And thankfully, mentions It Follows, which is probably one of my favorite films in recent memory, not just counting horror films. Anyway, take a look. The evolution of our genre of choice is an interesting one to reflect on. I've spent a few moments reflecting on genre changes from a literary standpoint, and I think that it's not seen such a wild expansion or detour in themes from a century ago. Instead, I would argue that we see the same themes, but does our desensitization to violence, or shall I say, our appetite for violence, has grown? That envelope has been pushed, but monsters, ghosts, cults, vampires, the undead, and the old gods living right at the seam between our reality and their churning realm of chaos seem to have stayed rather constant. But I'm willing to be wrong. Email me at talestoterrify at gmail.com and we'll chat. Children of the Night, our story for the evening comes to us from C.W. Blackwell. C.W. Blackwell was born and raised in Santa Cruz, California, where he still lives today with his wife and two children. His passion is to blend poetic narratives with pulp dialogue to create strange and rhythmic genre fiction. He writes mostly dark fiction and weird westerns. Lend me your ear for C.W. Blackwell's The Rattlesnake King, a Tales to Terrify original. going to clean him off the road, Pa? Samson pressed his forehead against the window and blinked through the glass. His face was silhouetted like a gibbous moon. No telling, said William. He scratched at his beard and sighed without looking up. Reckon the marshal's proven a point leaving him set there. Lord knows he wasn't a good man. 
What do you eat for he died, Pa? Hell if I know, son. Weren't no friend of mine. He's getting fatter's all. Samson puffed out his cheeks and laughed. William drew his bifocals atop his nose and looked to the road. The dead man lay with a hand over his chest and his eyes rolled halfway under his lids, as if he were dozing under the morning sun. The body was swollen, and the buttons on his vest creased into the fabric as if the threads were about to unravel. "'Just what happens to a body?' said William. "'Men, dogs, mules. I seen them all fatten up like that. Ain't no difference to the sun what ye is.' Samson giggled some more. "'It ain't supposed to be funny.' "'Kay, Pa,' said the boy. He tightened his lips and scowled to keep himself from laughing. "'I'm hungry.' "'I know it. Get your hat and we'll see if Mrs. Dangan's got any fresh eggs.' They went down to the road, past the dead man, and through a narrow alley muddied with urine. The sun was not long in the sky, just clearing a dark orange shelf of clouds. William leaned on the boy as they walked and pressed at the soiled dirt with his cane. Three boys passed in front of them as they emerged from the alley. They looked up quickly as if startled, then snickered into their hands. Samson buried his face into William's clothes. "'No need for that,' said William, and pulled Samson away from him so he could look into his eyes. "'My pa said a man is shy in another man's corner. Don't you hide your face from nobody.' Samson watched the boys pass. "'That boy calls me a name,' said Samson. "'Which boy?' "'That boy in the middle.' "'What's he call you?' "'Simple Sam.' William nodded and then spat on the ground. "'Hailfire,' said William. "'That boy's as sharp as a wet biscuit. "'Don't you listen to a damn thing he says.' "'Kay, Pa. You hear me?' "'Yeah, Pa.' Good. William tossed the boy's hair and leaned on him for another step. Your leg is worse. Don't you worry about that, ma'am. When they reached Mrs. Dangan's store, there was a wagon out front with a nervous mule stepping front and back. A thin bald man was pulling at the bridle and cussing at the animal. When William stepped to the door, the thin man waved him off. She ain't in there, he said. He coughed when he said it and the cough kept going until he just seemed to lose control of it altogether. "'Mrs. Dangan ain't in there?' "'That's what I told you,' he said. "'Where's she at, then?' "'She's dead, in the back of the wagon,' the man coughed again. Samson put his hands on the wagon rails and peered in. Mrs. Dangan lay on her back in a brown dress with her hands folded on her chest. Her eyes were slivers of blue under gray lids." "'We wanted fresh eggs,' said Samson. "'Boy, ain't nothing fresh in this town but the mule shit,' said the bald man. Samson stared at the man as he settled the mule. "'Was she killed?' The bald man smiled. "'No, she weren't killed.' "'How'd she die, then?' "'Same way we all die. She lay down and quit breathing.' The mule had begun to cooperate, and was now pulling the cart and Mrs. Dangan's corpse away from the storefront. The bald man walked alongside the mule with the bridle in his hand and gave a quick nod to William and Samson. William leaned against the wall beside the store and built a cigarette. The wind had picked up and was whistling through the awnings, 
and some of the tobacco whipsawed out into the street. "'Go on in and pick out what you want to eat,' said William. "'But Mrs. Dangin's dead, Pa,' said Samson. William nodded and lit the cigarette to his lips. "'I'll send her people the money. We ain't thieves, after all.' "'Pa?' "'What, son?' "'That how Mama died? Just quit breathing?' William spit out the drag and caught Samson by the shirt sleeve. He pulled the boy close and laced his hand behind his neck. "'Your mama died gazing down at you sleeping in the crook of her arm, just like I done told you. And she weren't hauled off in no mule cart, neither. I didn't write by her, you hear me?' "'Yeah, Pa, I hear you.' They returned to the alley as the sun crested the rooftops and cast a stark glare over the gray and wind-cracked buildings. Samson cradled a sack filled with eggs and apples and two ears of corn as he skirted puddles of filth and shouldered his father to the road beyond. "'Pa,' said Samson as they made the corner, "'look!' A small crowd had gathered around a stagecoach draped with dozens of dead rattlesnakes. An old woman in the crowd was poking at one of the carcasses and trying to get its jaws to open and shut. Samson looked at his father, but William didn't say anything. He just shuffled to the back of the crowd and squinted at the dead creatures, studying them carefully. There was a click from inside the coach, and the door opened. The crowd took a step back. A man in a red checkered shirt stepped out and lifted a velvet bowler hat to the crowd. He wore ivory-colored trousers and snakeskin boots. His hair was red as fire. "'Hello, fine people,' he said to the crowd. His voice was loud but pleasant. Two other men exited the coach behind him and quietly stood at his sides. "'I wouldn't touch that, Rattler,' he said to the old woman at the front of the crowd. "'There's still venom in those fangs.' "'You selling boots?' said the old woman." "'Boots, you say?' The man lifted his foot and slapped at his ankle. Then he shook his head. "'I'll not sell these for all the gold in California. No, I am not a salesman of any kind. Quite the contrary.' The crowd had now doubled in size, and Samson found himself jostled from every direction as more people arrived to get a glimpse of the coach. "'Why you got all them dead critters?' asked a man from the back. "'Curious, isn't it? I'll explain it all. My name is Clark Stanley.' When he said his name, there was a shadow that flickered over the crowd as if a bird had circled beneath the sun. The man had a habit of smiling and petting his beard between sentences. "'I've come to tell you of a miracle, a cure-all so potent it would be wicked not to give it away. Indeed, it's what I've done town to town from here to Denver.' Horseshit, said William. Clark Stanley looked about for the voice. When he spotted William, he nodded and gestured to him politely. Horseshit, you say? That's right. You ain't the first huckster to pass through this town. I say, sir, is that your boy beside you? William didn't respond. He put his arm around Samson and spat on the ground. May I ask what's wrong with him? said Clark Stanley. "'Not a darn thing!' William shouted. The old woman began to laugh. "'Now there's an idea,' she said. "'Let the snake man cure simple Sam!' 
She cackled and lisped through her toothless mouth, and soon others were laughing with her. Samson brushed William's arm away and wagged his finger in the air. "'I don't need no fixin!' he yelled. The man was now holding a brown bottle in the air and trying to calm the crowd with the other. "'Believe me, three sips of my elixir and he'll be smarter than the lot of you,' said Clark Stanley. "'Come, boy, have a sip!' The crowd must have thought this was a comedy routine, because their laughter began to grow. Clark Stanley shushed the crowd with his finger over his lips, but they only laughed harder. "'I'll tell you where to put that bottle,' said William. More laughter. William took Samson's hand and led him away from the crowd. "'I'll cure him! I swear it!' Clark Stanley was calling after them, following behind. William stopped with the bloated corpse at his feet. "'Why don't you cure this man? He's the one that needs it. Not my boy!' Clark Stanley waved the crowd away and followed William. The people moved around him like he was a stone tumbling in a stream. He walked to the dead man and stood over him and held a handkerchief over his nose. "'This man's deader than mutton,' he said. William nodded. "'He's been sitting in the road at least six days.' My boy's been watching him bloat from the window all week. What do you think would happen if I brought him back? Brought him back? This thing in the road? said William. Well, I reckon you'd be the new mayor of this dern town by a show of hands. A show of hands, do you say? Aye, said William. That man's deader than them critters hanging off your coach. Clark Stanley stroked his beard and grinned at the corpse, as if he'd somehow known the man and was fond of him. He kneeled beside it and turned the head from side to side. The tongue was bloated in its mouth, forcing the jaws open in a ghastly scowl. "'What you gonna do to that man?' asked Samson. "'Never mind him, boy,' said William. "'Just a dern huckster, anyhow.' Clark Stanley was now twisting the cork of his bottle of elixir and trying to fit the top into the dead man's mouth. He called to his companions, and one of them rushed over and held the bottle upside down. The liquid was spilling over the corpse's cheeks like a clogged drain. "'Just hold it that way for a moment,' said Clark Stanley. Then he backed up and lifted his leg into the air and brought the heel of his boot on the back end of the bottle." There was a terrible cracking sound as the dead man's teeth shattered and the bottle wedged into his esophagus. The crowd moaned. A horse whinnied close by and a man rode up on a tall brown gelding and dismounted. He strode to Clark Stanley with a puzzled look on his face and a hand on the pistol in his belt. "'What the devil is going on here?' he said. Everyone just looked at each other. "'This man says he can bring the fellow you killed back from the dead, Marshal,' said William. "'Horseshit,' said the Marshal. There was a dimple on his chin that was full of stubble. It looked like a dark and wayward eye. "'You the law around here?' asked Clark Stanley. "'I am.' "'You meant for this man to stay dead?' "'Stay dead? What other kind of dead is there?' Clark Stanley took a few steps back and combed at his beard with his fingers. He gestured to the dead man and exhaled slowly through his nose. "'Well,' he said, 
I'd reckon another kind of dead would look like that. The dead man began to quiver where he lay. His hair bounced over his leathery forehead, and his eyes rolled forward and back. The people hurried to form a circle around the shaking corpse, mindful of giving a wide berth. "'I'll be goddamned,' said William. He pulled Samson close and kept him behind. The corpse flipped onto its stomach, and the gases trapped inside began to effluviate in a ferocious manner. The circle grew wider as the body croaked and hissed. The marshal was now crouching beside it, watching it writhe in the dirt. The corpse stopped shaking and sat up. It turned its head from side to side like a blind man listening for a voice. Then it belched and grumbled something in the marshal's direction. The marshal shook his head and spat in the dirt. He stared at his spit for a moment. "'Well, what did he say?' said someone from the crowd. The marshal stood and straightened his collar. Then he looked at the dead man and unholstered his weapon and fired a single round into his skull. The man's head pitched back and then fell onto the road with not a trace of blood nor brain from the head wound. "'He said the same darn thing for I killed him the first time,' said the marshal, with his gun still smoking. "'Reckon some men don't change.' By sundown, half the town had sipped from Clark Stanley's snake oil elixir. At first it was nothing more than a smell from an uncorked bottle, then a swish around the teeth. The old woman who would fiddle with the dead snakes was the first to drink it, and was the first to speak of its properties. "'I feel like a young'un,' she said, and what would have been a cackle now sounded like a young woman's laugh. There was something lyrical about her voice, something strange and alluring. The orange of the desert twilight made her skin look softer and her hair darker somehow. There was a quickness about her that wasn't there before. "'Drink it,' she said as she passed the bottle around. "'If it'll raise the dead, figure what it'll do for living folks.'" By midnight there were bonfires in the street. Fiddle and banjo pickers squatted on crates and hammered out wild and frenetic melodies as people danced and howled around the fires, and a crescent moon lumbered through the smoke-filled sky. Samson watched from the window with an expression of worry and curiosity. He saw a man with an uneven grin throw wooden stools into the fire, sending a helix of sparks into the air as he hooted and returned for more fuel. Across the road, a woman with black and silver hair was folded over a horse trough, grunting while the town marshal pressed behind her. All the while, Clark Stanley paced from one side of the street to the other, passing bottles to the empty-handed. "'Why are they celebrating, Pa?' said Samson. "'No reason. They're drunk is all,' William replied. He was reading a month-old newspaper by lamplight. "'Something in that snake juice, I reckon.' "'They's always drunk, Pa. Never done this before.' William sighed and folded the paper. He went to the window and looked down on the debauchery, and he sighed again. "'Maybe I'll have a word with the marshal, then,' said William, now looking for his hat and his gun. Samson tapped on the glass. "'He's there, Pa, playing with the preacher's wife.' William squinted out the window, then shook his head and looked again. "'I'll be goddamned,' he said. "'What is it?' 
Never mind what it is, he caught the boy's eye and stared him down. I need your help getting downstairs. Samson put his arm around William's crooked shoulders and gathered a handful of shirt fabric in his fist. They walked together to the front door. William lifted his gun and spun the cylinder and pressed it back in place. Just going to speak with the marshal, son. It's strange, Pa, said Samson. Nobody acting right. That's why I want to have a word, William patted Samson on the cheek. Stay upstairs and keep an eye from above, okay? Okay, Pa. William opened the door and slipped into the fumes and hollers of the street. As the thick air folded around him, Samson stomped up the stairway to the second-floor windows to look for his father through the foggy chaos below. He couldn't find him. Samson pressed his face against the glass and eyed every movement on the street. People were throwing off their clothes and prancing like spooked horses and then falling into the dirt and screwing and laughing. Somewhere a window shattered and three gunshots echoed over the town like some robbery gone awry. And a mule galloped unridden with its bridle dragging on the ground. And still they danced and still Samson couldn't find his father. An hour passed, and Samson began to sob against the window. He called out his father's name, but could not find him among the people dancing in the street. There were more gunshots, somewhere nearby. Samson rose when he heard them, and ran to the closet and found the Remington shotgun on the shelf. Only one barrel was loaded, so he searched for the box of shells on the high shelf and stuffed them in his front pocket. He slipped one of the rounds in the empty chamber and clicked the shotgun closed and went to the front door. When he opened it, white smoke poured across the threshold like some kind of poltergeist. It smelled of pine and burnt rubber. Samson stuck the Remington out into the street and leveled it side to side. Pa! he yelled. The shotgun was heavy and it kept slipping off his shoulder. He stepped out into the dirt road. There was movement all around him. Pa! he yelled again, searching in the smoke. A naked woman stumbled and fell before him. Her pupils were strangely reptilian and glowed green in the firelight. She got on her knees and licked the barrel of Samson's shotgun. Miss Krause, that you? said Samson. You ain't drank none of the juice, she shrieked. Her tongue was long and split at the end, and it darted in and out of the gun barrel. Bottle! she screamed into the sky like a pig at slaughter. Bring a goddamn fucking bottle! Samson jerked the shotgun away and turned to run, but a large gray-haired man appeared from the smoke with a bottle in his hand. He swayed where he stood like a madman lost in the limestone mesas. Drink, boy! he said, grinning with a toothless smile. I'll shoot you if you don't let me by, warned Samson. He felt something wet. The woman had slithered beneath him and had begun to lick his ankles. He shook his leg to get the woman to quit, and when he did, the gray-haired man lunged at him. Samson closed his eyes and squeezed the trigger. The Remington kicked hard against his shoulder, and when he looked again, the man lay writhing in the dirt with his hairy stomach glistening. Samson ran. 
He weaved around the banjo pickers and the bonfires. He passed the stagecoach where Clark Stanley was handing out bottles by torchlight and stroking his wiry red beard. Clark Stanley's eyes flickered like sparks from an anvil, and when he smiled, his teeth were like the night orchids, blooming from some dark place the world had long forgotten. "'Run, Sam!' Clark Stanley called. "'Set up in the hills a while. You ain't gonna like what happens next.' He sounded mean when he said it, but he soon started to laugh. Samson could hear his laughter as though it were all around him, chasing him as he ran. Samson watched the town flicker and glow as he shivered beneath the creosote trees in the dark mesas. The stones at his feet were still warm from the heat of the day, so he dug himself into the shale and listened to the shouts and moans and gunshots echo into the empty plains. It wasn't until the sky began to change that the fires dimmed and the music subtracted to a low, indigenous beat that murdered the stars one by one until the sky was awash in a dead gray light. Soon the music stopped, and Samson could not discern any sound or movement at all. He crept back, as if he were now a fugitive in his own town. He paused at a wide building and peered around the corner. There was a low haze that settled over the ground. He saw a mule cart overturned in the street, half-burned to fragile planks of charcoal. A dying dog lolled its tongue in the gravel. The town was deserted. Samson swept the Remington from one side of the street to the other, then hurried through the center of town toward his home. Clark Stanley's stagecoach was gone, but the bonfire still smoked in the road. Strewn clothes and dead animals cluttered the landscape. As he passed the feed store, he saw something flicker in his periphery. Samson spun to his side and nearly fired the shotgun. It was the largest snake he had ever seen. It appeared to be struggling. The thing nodded and flopped and straightened out again, as if it were injured. Samson watched it for a while and then walked to it with the Remington aimed low. The snake flicked its tongue and lifted its head in Samson's direction. Samson stumbled back. The snake had the face of a woman. Her blue eyes looked to Samson as if they were pleading for help. After a moment, she read the look of horror in Samson's face and coiled slowly away from him, as though she were ashamed. Samson saw a swath of fabric tangled in her coils. "'Wait!' said Samson. The snake turned and blinked at him. Samson went to the snake woman again and pointed to what looked like a tattered gray blouse digging into the thing's white underbelly. "'If I help, you ain't going to strike me none,' said Samson. The snake shook her head. Samson set the shotgun against the building and took the fabric in both hands. The blouse ripped apart easily, and in seconds the snake was free. "'He made you this way, didn't he?' said Samson. "'The red-haired devil!' The snake opened her mouth to speak, but a dry hiss was all that could be heard. "'And the others?' See my pa around? She looked at Samson, then stared out to the road. He watched her for a moment, her blue eyes just searching. It occurred to Samson that maybe she didn't know what had happened after all, and that she had simply woken, transformed, and confused. 
The snake woman's eyes narrowed and she flicked her tongue. There was another snake emerging from beneath the drugstore across the road. It wound slowly through the sand and gravel like a tree root seeking water. Samson went to his shotgun and just held on to it, watching the snake get closer. Soon he could make out its face. This one was a man, an old man. Pa! Samson ran to the snake and dropped to his knees. He cupped the old man's face and looked into his eyes. The eyes looked back, sad and familiar. Oh, Lord, Pa! cried Samson. You drank it, didn't you? Why'd you do it? Samson sobbed into his hands. William wound around the boy and rested his head against Samson's shoulder. The scales felt cool against his skin. When Samson looked up, there were others coiled along the road, watching. They flicked their tongues as if they could somehow taste what was happening. "'Why'd he do this?' said Samson. He was sobbing wildly now. The entire town had emerged and now lay before him, a den of serpents low in the dirt. William uncoiled from Samson's frame and wound through the gravel to the center of the road. He picked something up with his mouth and returned to Samson's feet. In his mouth was a twenty-dollar banknote. Samson took the bill and turned it over in his hands. He looked at the wagon marks on the road and saw more banknotes there. He saw a copper lamp and figurines made of silver and gold littered on either side of the tracks, all glinting in the sun. He made you this way and robbed the whole town, didn't he? Samson waited for a response, but there was none. The silence spoke for them. The serpents were now collecting things from the road and dropping them at Samson's feet one by one as if paying tribute. I don't need any of it, said Samson, waving them off. Find me food and water, enough to get catched up with that devil. The serpents rattled their tails as if his words had rallied them somehow. They fanned out over the town and soon returned with deer skins and jerky and bags of pemmican, and they all planted them around Samson in the dirt. He gathered the rations and found a shady place by the drugstore to eat and drink from one of the deer skins. He watched the snakes, and they watched him back. He pictured Clark Stanley lounging in his coach, fanning himself with a fistful of banknotes. Samson lifted the canteen to the western horizon. I'll catch you, devil, he said, and drank. By evening, the hills had begun to have a dark orange glow, and shadows stretched long and gray over the town. Samson lifted his hat and wiped the sweat from his forehead. He raised the Remington and broke open the barrels and circled the shells with his thumb. He rocked the hammers back and forth. The townsfolk saw him rise and stirred in the dirt, their tails rattling. He walked on, and the serpents followed. The air was mostly still, and the wagon tracks lay before him, carved into the pan as if they had been there since the desert was young. There were tufts of sage every so often that were cleaved by the wagon wheels, and here the air smelled astringent. Sometimes a gust would blow across the caldera, and he'd see a banknote rise and settle against the sage. Behind him, the townsfolk slithered without stirring a trace of dust. After sunset, Samson gazed over the sloped land. 
There was a thin line of smoke pressed against the sky maybe fifteen miles away. He don't think I got it in me, said Samson. He drank from the canteen and drizzled some of the water onto his scalp, and then he walked on. Soon the moon was up, and the campfire looked like a setting star on the horizon. He walked to it, occasionally glancing behind at the serpentine herd. In the darkness, they were like beads of mercury rolling across the plains. When he was close enough to hear the fire crackle, he slowed his pace and thumbed the hammers on the Remington. He saw Clark Stanley leaning against the rear wagon wheel, passing a knife over a whetstone. The two other men sat on their bedrolls, picking meat from bones with their teeth. Samson didn't bother with a greeting. He fired at the closest man to him, and the shot knocked the man sideways into the dirt. The muzzle blast brightened the eaves of the stagecoach. The other man stood and whirled toward him with a pistol glinting in the firelight. Samson fired again, and this time he was close enough to see the flesh tear from the man's jaw. Samson broke the barrels and emptied the shells into the scrub, and then replaced them with two from his pocket. He pulled the hammers back with a single rake of his hand and lifted the shotgun again, but Clark Stanley was gone. Samson arced the Remington over the campsite and then around him in a full circle, searching for the man. "'Bravo!' said a voice from the dark. Somewhere there was the sound of lonely applause. "'Come out here, you no-good devil!' said Samson. "'I'd rather not, boy!' You're quite accurate with that weapon. Bring them all back the way they was, and I won't shoot, said Samson. He was stepping toward the stagecoach. Keep what you took. I don't care about none of it. Just bring them back. They made their choice when they drank the elixir, said Clark Stanley. Nobody poured it down their throats. If they knowed it'd turn them into snakes, they'd have thunk twice about it. "'What's the difference, really? "'Aren't men just snakes with arms and legs and guns?' "'Samson listened. "'The pop of the burning creosote, "'the coach horses snorting in the shadows. "'The voice was coming from inside the coach cabin. "'He lifted the butt of the shotgun and shattered the coach window. "'Then he pressed the barrels into the darkness. "'Before he could squeeze the trigger, "'Samson felt a hot sting in his side.' The pain stopped the breath in his throat, and the Remington clattered on the hard scrabble beside one of the dead men. He stumbled backward and felt at the source of the pain. A knife was buried between his lower ribs up to the hilt. Clark Stanley appeared in the shattered window, smiling. "'You're not the only one with good aim,' he said, and kicked open the door of the stagecoach. A couple bottles of snake oil and silver coins tumbled onto the ground as he emerged. Samson still couldn't breathe. Clark Stanley walked to the boy, stroking his beard. "'I can empathize with the pain, Samson,' he said. "'When I was not much older than you, I was impaled with an iron stake.' He put his hand on Samson's shoulder. "'I swear to you it took half my liver with it when it passed through.' Samson finally coughed, and a trickle of blood and saliva ran to his chin. He fell to his knees and tried to speak, but it was not even a whisper. "'What is that, boy?' Clark Stanley leaned in with his ear to Samson's mouth. "'Fix them, you say?' 
He laughed. I think it's time that you tend to yourself, Samson. Clark Stanley reached for the knife handle and slid it from Samson's ribcage. He looked at the blade and then wiped it on Samson's shirt. You know, he said. His eyes gleamed in the fire glow. He was attempting to be friendly. You'd make it through the night if you drank my elixir. In the morning, you would slither home to join your kin. Samson spat blood in the man's face. Clark Stanley took out a handkerchief and cleaned the mess from his face. Then he pressed the blade to Samson's throat. You've made your choice, then, he said. I have, said Samson. The horses reared. Samson's eyes widened. Movement all around. Clark Stanley toppled backward, his upper half landing in the campfire before rolling out in a shower of red sparks. The man was knotted in the coils of a dozen serpent townsfolk. They thrashed him viciously and lifted him from the ground as he screamed and cussed, their slit pupils searching for limbs to uncoil. Samson clutched his side and watched the man flail. It looked as if Clark Stanley was drowning in a lake of vipers. The snakes dragged him to a patch of rabbit brush, where they enveloped each of his limbs and pulled them in every direction. When his bones decoupled from their sockets, Clark Stanley's screams grew manic. A single coil slipped over his throat and tightened, silencing the screams as he was flipped onto his stomach and dragged face down into the darkness. Samson tried to stand, but could not put his feet beneath him. Blood pooled in the mud-cracked earth. He fell on his hands and crawled to the stagecoach. He pulled himself up against the thoroughbraces and looked at the dead men beside the campfire. Blood everywhere. The desert was now silent. Beside him was a bottle of Clark Stanley's elixir. Samson lifted it from the dirt and spun it front to back. The bottle was slippery in his bloody hands. He looked beyond the campfire and across the desert. Distant maces, flat against the stars. Samson coughed another mouthful of blood and spat on the ground. He twisted the cork and put his nose to the bottle mouth. It smelled of earth and honey. He looked again at the horizon. Then he closed his eyes and raised the bottle to his lips. Not a drop reached his tongue. Samson opened his eyes. An old woman appeared before him with long white hair and skin nearly as pale. Her nude and wrinkled body was caked with sand and dirt and sage needles, as if perhaps she was the mother of the desert itself. She held the bottle with one hand and cumped Samson's face in the other. Soon others appeared behind her in the firelight, and they walked to him slowly, each one naked and dusty and sand-flecked. They lowered their heads and watched him sit in his own blood. The old woman tossed the elixir into the fire. "'We'll fix you, Samson,' she said. She was cradling his face with both hands now, tears in her eyes, just like you'd done for us. Samson tilted his head and saw William crossing the bivouac. He walked to the boy, stepping over the dead men. His hair and face were filthy with sand, but he was smiling at the boy. Samson smiled back weakly at his father. He closed his eyes and let his head rest in the old woman's hands.
That was C.W. Blackwell's The Rattlesnake King. Love that title. A Tales to Terrify original, as read by Daniel Grzynski. Dan lives in Tully, New York, near Syracuse, and earns his living bending the unseen forces of nature to his will as a broadcast engineer. He's been a recording engineer, electronics technician, repairer of broken things, and regularly reads for LibriVox.org. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Dan. That'll be our show for the evening, children of the night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.